The following conversation is between myself and Larry Osei-Mensa. I was fortunate enough to have Larry join me, and he was discussing his career and his curatorial projects and the show that he curated at the New York Academy of Art. He comes from the Bronx, and he uses contemporary art as a vehicle to redefine how we see ourselves and the world around us. He comes from Ghana, and he's a cultural critic that has organized exhibitions and programs at commercial and nonprofit spaces around the globe, from New York to Rome. He runs a global collective called Art Noir that I asked him about, which is a global collective of culturalists who design multimodal experiences aimed to engage this generation's dynamic and diverse creative class. Art Noir endeavors to celebrate the artistry and creativity by black and brown artists around the world via virtual and in-person experiences. I hope you enjoy the following conversation. This is Art World, the White Hot Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Noah Becker. Visit us on the web at www.whitehotmagazine.com and social media platforms. Hi, Larry. Hey, good morning, Noah. How are you? Good morning. Oh, I'm doing well, doing well. Good. Um, how are things going in New York? Uh, things are good. Uh, the sun's shining, so I can't complain. Oh, great. I'm on the West Coast right now, so it's... Um, oh, so it's early for you. Yeah, it's not light <laughs> out. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. Okay. Um, well, thank yeah. you for making time to meet uh, this Oh, morning. likewise. Um I wanted to ask you about the show that you curated at uh, called Parallels and Peripheries at the New York Academy of Art. Okay. Um, so it's an exhibition that I was invited by the Academy to organize. Um, and part of it started um, with a text that my co-curator um Robin wrote. Um, Robin is a, an alum of the Academy. Um, Robin Gibson. Um, mm-hmm. And she just wrote, you know, reflecting on her experience as an African-American woman um, at the Academy, the challenges of that. And I think a lot of that really was inspired by the events that happened last summer, the murder of George Floyd. Um, you know, the the reinvigoration of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. I think also just this reckoning across industries. What I would say, reckoning, I think reevaluation, I hope, um, across industries, particularly in the art world where institutions really have to look at themselves in the mirror and really kind of evaluate or begin to evaluate how complicit they've been in a lot of this systematic oppression, systematic racism, you know, even down to things like microaggression, which I think we don't talk about a lot. Um, you know, how challenging is it to be, you know, a student of color in an environment where there might, might not be many students who look like you, professors that look like you, you know, how do you, uh develop the tools to kind of navigate these spaces and mm-hmm. so 
she wrote this text. They invited me to collaborate with them to organize an exhibition um, meditating on the BIPOC community at the New York Academy of Arts. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about alums, thinking about current students, faculty, visiting lecturers. And mm -hmm. um, so for me, that was an exciting opportunity. You know, one, being cognizant that this is an academy, academy's history. Um, having had friends who've worked there, knowing artists like Art um, Niles, uh, Nardeline Pierre, uh, Princeton, who are graduates from there, in addition to Robin. Um, and for me, this is an opportunity to ask a question, right? And so, like, mm -hmm. Parallels and Peripheries is a series. It's been iterative. Uh, I launched it in 2018 after seeing um, Take Me, I'm Yours um, in Rome. I had an exhibition, a group show in Rome at Anamara Contemporary. And mm -hmm. uh, I was at uh, Villa Medici, and the group show was there. And you know, I was just reading about the show, and I'm like, "Wow, he's been interrogating these same set of ideas, obviously changing the artists who were part of right. the conversation for like 15 years." Right. I'm like, "Why?" Are and are these alumni of of the New York Academy, or are most of them artists from outside the Academy? In the exhibition, it's. Mm -hmm. Uh, the majority are artists who have an affiliation with the with the academy. So, either they're teaching there currently, either they've graduated, mm -hmm. or they're current students. And then right. we have a couple who are not alum but were visiting lecturers at the academy. Right, because I was looking at some of the work, and it's fairly uh, representational. Although uh, maybe I missed some of it. Is there some abstraction in the show or is it mainly? No, not really, because I think the impetus, you know, the subtext is practice and presence. And, you know, really thinking about um, this notion of a certain presence in a space where you might not feel like you're seen, right? And so, I right. think, you know, for me, you know, as we were going through the process and it was something that we had reflected on, um, I wanted, you know, actually with Paul Anthony Smith, I initially was gonna, um, we talked about including an abstract work, but I felt like that came more from a position of trying to teach. Um, but I think also, you know, I think I was talking with Anthony Akambola yesterday and he was talking about his practice being this representational abstract abstraction. Um, and it was a consideration, but I think for the prompt, this just felt more appropriate. Um, I think people wanting to feel seen, you know, whether you're a current student, um, you have a lot of alumni who graduated from the academy and maybe have, you know, a close relationship with the school or maybe not. And, you know, I think I think it was also an opportunity for the institution to kind of re-engage those folks. Um, and so it's something I thought about, so it's not something that I glossed over but I think w when Robin and I were talking about the show even she has two um, ceramic pieces in the show you know and I think Jean Shin has a sculpture in the show so thinking about where were there opportunities to include other modes of making um, mm -hmm. you know David Antonio Cruz um, has a uh, video piece in the show so we, we thought about that but in my gut, I was like, this just makes more sense knowing who the audience is going to be. 
Um, and knowing that the Academy, that's what they're known for, you know, is, you know, whether it's sculpture or painting is kind of figurative mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. I've been to a number of their galas mm. and uh, been to the studios mm -hmm. of the artists and it's uh, definitely an interesting place yeah. and a much needed place for um, that kind of representational um, approach mm -hmm. to figuration mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure what New York would be like without it. Actually, I think it's um, it's launched a lot of really interesting artists. Yeah, and I think it's like I think about the Academy. I think about the Artist League. There's so many artists that I know mid-career, you know, some I would consider masters who like didn't go to, you know, these lauded MFA programs, but, you know, went to the academy or went to the art league or other kind of programs that exist to really kind of just refine their craft and master their craft. And I think that's one thing that the academy definitely has offered its students. But I think like, many higher ed institutions, there's still uh, a lot of work to be done towards, you know, equity, parity, um, creating an environment where, you know, you feel seen, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's just kind of a natural human inclination. Um, and it's been really great, the feedback that I've been getting from all the artists that have been participating, um, just being thankful you know, because the reality is that, you know, just because you get an MFA does not guarantee, you know, you're going to have this like hot shot career. Right. And I think mm -hmm. for some artists, you know, they've been blessed and they're, you know, working and, you know, they have things going on and then others not. And that's just kind of the reality of like how MFAs work, you know, and, and, and I'm conscious of that. And my hope is that a lot of the artists who are like, even there were a couple of dealers that I know who went and they were asking questions mm -hmm. about particular artists. And so my hope is that, you know, they engage those artists in a conversation and hopefully that manifests into some type of working relationship or even just inclusion in future projects. Mm -hmm. Is this your first project with the New York Academy of Art? Yeah. Or have you worked with No, this before? is, well, this is my first project in an exhibition capacity, but I did do a talk with Dexter Wimberly. Uh, so Dexter um, runs the talks program there. Um, I forget uh -huh. his official title, but Dexter and I have been collaborating over the last 10 years on exhibitions. Mm -hmm. And so um, we did a talk together and then I also led a conversation, I believe in November, December with Mario Moore, where we did an Instagram live conversation with Mario, uh, who's a mm -hmm. Detroit-based artist that I've known for a while. Um, him just talking about his practice. Um, so there were some interactions there through the talks. Yeah, no. So I've had a relationship with the Academy for a number of years. A good friend of mine used to work in communications. So it's not, I'm not a stranger mm -hmm. to the Academy. And so like, I've seen it, you know, through the lens of someone who's worked there, but then also kind of observing, you know, like um, what the student experience is like. And then to be enmeshed in it, you know, in terms of organizing the show uh, has been another vantage point. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've been involved with, um, you were curating in Detroit 
at a certain point. Yeah. Um, and you um, you curated um, a successful show, kind of a legendary show uh, in Detroit. Um, what what is it that draws you to curating? I'll ask you really in generally what really draws you to curating. Um, the opportunity for storytelling, the romance of collaborating with an artist if it's solo or a number of artists if it's a group show. Um, you know, I started my career in the art world as a photographer, you know, back in 07. And mm. it wasn't really, you know, you do things and you're like, mm, this is not my bag. Um, and it's not that I was terrible at it, but it's just like, you know, the critique that you have to deal with that as an artist was just, I wasn't interested in that. Um, and then, you know, started writing about art, you know, and interviewing artists like, you know, Toyi Natatola when she was still in grad school in San Francisco and, uh, and Jadeka Akinlali Crosby and, and through those conversations and dialogues, I kind of recognized that there was a void in terms of opportunities for emerging, you know, artists of color, you know, so this is like, oh, nine, 2010. Um, mm -hmm. and so there's just something gratifying in meeting an artist, getting an understanding of the practice, or, you know, sometimes I'm in dialogue with an artist and they say something that triggers a question in my mind. I'm like, what does that look like in an exhibition format? What does that look like as a talk? What does that look like uh, as a book? Um, mm. And, you know, I spent a better part of the first part of my curatorial career working a job too, you know? And so it mm -hmm. wasn't until 2015 that I curated full-time. I mean, like I quit my job at Viacom. I was working in marketing. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And so, and I'm always transparent about that because it's like, you know, I want people to understand that I didn't magically appear. Like I've been doing this for a long time. You know, and there would be right. years where I'd be curating five, six different shows and maintaining a full-time job, you know, which in hindsight was insanity, but I think it was the adrenaline. Um, but talking with, like, my former boss at um, Nickelodeon, Viacom, uh, Angelina Sierra, and, like, you know, she one day called me in the office because I was transparent about my curatorial practice. Like, I would... I remember doing a show with Dexter... Um, at Edward Tyler Nehem on 57th Street, and I would take my colleagues there on lunch and give them tours. And, you know, my mm -hmm. boss one day was like, you just need to go do the art thing. Like, this, like you're good at what you do, but the art thing puts a fire in your belly that, like, if you do not explore, you will regret. Right. And so, <clears throat> you know, this opportunity for inquiry, and I think I've learned you know, over the last six years that has a lot of different faces. So it doesn't just have to be like a formal exhibition. You know, this last year, just as a result of COVID, you know, me and uh, Troy Carter, who's a good friend and mentor, we started the Parlor series, you know, and it started on Zoom and now it's, it's moved to Clubhouse. And it's just conversations about, you know, topics and questions we have, you know, in the art world. 
And um, so for me, it's been fun to kind of. And, and what are some of the the questions that come up a lot? Is there are there some recurring yeah, questions? Yeah, I mean, I think my role is interesting because my background is in marketing, advertising, and, and you know, I, I come to this, you know, the last decade plus, and. You know, so my rubric is a little different in terms of like when an artist is, you know, making a show, for example, I'm not just thinking about the press release. I'm thinking about what's the PR, what's the rollout, what's the positioning, you know, what is the story, you know, and, and you know, what is the artist offering us through the work? And a lot of the questions I get, you know, basic questions like, how do I find a gallery? And I'm like, do you need a gallery at this point? You know, Um mm. I get, you know, from collectors because I collect. I've been collecting the last 10 years, you know. I want to collect. Yeah, I saw that. I noticed that. I know. Yeah, that. and it's just like, you know, now that's been kind of interesting where it's like, oh, I want to start, like, I had a friend text me two days ago, like, hey, I want to start collecting. And it's just like, how do you answer that? Because it's like, it's not something that, in my view, you can go from zero to 100. I mean, you can, but you won't get things that you love. And how many pieces would you say are in oh, your shit. collection? I have no clue. How long have you been collecting? 10 years. I would say I have probably over 200 pieces. Um, mm -hmm. And are they of a specific size or do you? Uh, there's, I like to call it apartment art, but there's size variations. I think, you know, the biggest mm -hmm. work is like 48 by 52 or something like that. You know, so, mm -hmm. but that's also been part of the journey because, like, you know, I guess back to your question about what brings me to curate, I'm interested in the conversation, right? And so, like, a lot of mm -hmm. artists that I've known throughout my career, you know, and I always tell artists, I may never show your work. And it's not because it's bad, it just might not fit the ideas that I'm thinking about right now. But we're going to, you know, if, if we jive, We'll be in conversation you know so like monday i went to visit an artist he's doing his first big new york solo and we just did a three-hour crit you know and hmm. you know my mind is now you know back to your other question about abstraction has been expanding mm -hmm. to think about where does abstraction fit within like my mind and this dialogue and so like April 3rd, I'm curating a solo show of Patrick Alston, you know, who's an artist from the Bronx like me, um, abstract mm -hmm. artist. It's going to be his first New York solo. You know, so it's very personal to me because we come from a similar environment and condition. Uh, but it's also a great challenge, which excites me to stretch to, like, curate a show of full, like, all abstract work, which I've never done. Um, right. But, you know... It's exciting because I've, you know, I got like uh, uh, Sam Gilliam's catalog. I got Frank Boland's catalog from the show he did at House to Coons. I'm working on an essay with Leonardo Drew, who's been a great friend and mentor. Um, you know, oh, yeah. uh, Evangeline Montgomery is an artist who I discovered through the Magnetic Fields exhibition at the Kemper. She's 90. Uh, incredible artists who worked at the State Department. So for me, it's just like, you know, you do these shows and you try to find this like little thing. It's almost like, I don't know if you watch, did you watch the Michael Jordan 
10 part doc at all? So, no. to keep it short, Jordan would make up these stories sometimes in his head. So, like, let's say me and you are playing basketball and you're like, you know, your jump shot's weak. Right. <laughs> but Jordan would fucking expand this into like, oh, did I hear him say that I don't got no gang? I'm the worst basketball player in the world. And literally would make up these stories. Um, and so he would hmm. make up this kind of beef with Larry Bird in his mind to kind of get him revved up. You know? And so for me, I like finding new, new challenges because it keeps the excitement. Right? So like right now, Mm-hmm. thinking deeply about like where abstraction falls within like my mind and how can I expand and embrace that as much as I've ex- embraced figurative work. Me and Dexter, we did an all video show at Al Jairo when he was there. Um, you mm-hmm. know, thinking about ceramics um, and just not um resting on my laurels, right? Because most curators, you know, they have, and I, I'm sure if we unpacked it, I have a particular style, you know, but like, I know Dexter, for example, is preferential to painting. And I'm trying to not be preferential to any medium, right? But that takes, yeah. you know, you know, the Mamba mentality, getting in the gym and doing the work. Um, whether mm-hmm. it's making shows, whether I just did an essay on Genesis Tremaine and her show in Brussels. And that was very challenging to me because like, you know, I really had to like excavate what she was doing and not deal with it on the surface. And it's it was gratifying the result. Um, and so for me, it's just like, curating just gives me the opportunity to find these moments of self gratification and not in an egoic way but just like mm. in a way where I feel like I've learned and I've stretched myself and I've grown and hopefully whatever it mm-hmm. is that I put together people feel the same okay can I ask you about yeah. art more can you tell uh, can you tell me what art so noir art noir is? is which is now 501c3 but it's a collective that was co-founded by myself and six other incredible friends, um, Danny Baez, Caroline Concepcion, Jane Aiello, Nadia Nascimento, I always get her last name messed up, uh, Melly Hawk and Isis mm. Arias. And it really, you know, we informally launched in 2013 and it started with something as simple as just group trips, right? And, you know, when... Mm. Ian Shonabari had his show at the Barnes. He's one of my favorite artists. And I said, hey, and I just sent an email to some friends and said, hey, I'm going to Philly to go see this show. Anybody want to come? You know, and it, it was that. Then it was Storm King we would go to. Then it was our Basel. And we began to recognize that there was a fervor and desire by friends of our generation Um black and brown folks, Latinx folks, Asian folks, um, to learn more about art in a way that felt safe, accessible, um, educational, uh, 
But then on the converse, really focusing on celebrating black and brown artists in the space where they felt safe, right? Because I think a lot of times, you know, something as simple as like an artist tour, you know, there is like, you know, you kind of got your stump speech. And we weren't really interested mm-hmm. in that. We wanted to get to the core and the root, you know, but you have to create space where the artists, you know, will allow themselves to be vulnerable and we're all vulnerable together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, it started with our trips, then gallery tours, Basel, and then, you know, over the last eight years, been thinking about how do we cultivate the next generation of patrons? Because, you know, I keep getting friends who want to start collecting. So, like, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do you give people the basic tools to do that? How do you give people access, you know? And, you know, we had, we've done great visits with, like, Paul Anthony Smith, um, his show at Shaman, when Micheline Thomas had her show at Aperture, um, Hank Willis Thomas and Renee Cox and Xavier Simmons all were super generous with their time. And so now, as a nonprofit, you know, we're thinking about how do we level out, right? Because a lot of what we talk about is legacy, right? And how do we create things that have a legacy once we, you know, move on from this project or move on from this world? And so, you know, last year, one of our big initiatives was, you know, our Jar of Love Fund, you know, because I would look at the news reports and see, you know, a Jar of What's Love. What's it called? And and so it's a micro grant program that we started in response to a lot of institutions either furloughing or laying off um, friends, you know, for me or colleagues. And so it's focused primarily on artists, um, cultural workers of color. Um, and the micro grant ranges from $500 to $2,500. And so what we did in July of last summer is we did an auction. And through that auction, we did over 134,000 in sales. And um, for some artists, we offered them, well, all the artists, we offered them a 30% commission. Because one thing that I was hearing from a lot of artists is that, you know, the burden of participating in these auctions and only really being able to write off a minimal amount of money. And so I said, okay, you know, we decided as a group, we're going to offer you a commission because that's, you know, the fair thing to do. Some people took it. Some people donated it back into the fund. And, you know, the one thing that we, I always have to be clear is that no one takes a salary in Art Noir. Uh, we all do this as a, as a passing project. You know, so all the funds, mm-hmm. you know, so we probably had about ninety dollars to $100,000 to disperse and that we've been dispersing to reinvest in our community because they've invested in us. And, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a grant that has no kind of rules tied to it. You know, people apply and we evaluate on a rolling basis. And so for me, that's been a really great, like, for example, when the MCA laid off, you know, 11% of their staff, we made a $3,000 donation to their GoFundMe. Right. Um, and so being able mm. to, be in the position to redeploy these funds and reinvest in our community um, has been paramount. Um, uh, because I was also looking at just, you know, the grants 
that people were able to apply for and I would talk to friends and they're just like the applications are like a lot and you know a lot of people are not going to be able to get funds and so for us it's like you know something as minimal as 500 bucks can maybe pay help you pay rent depending on where you live or buy groceries you know mm. um and I think for us it was about reinserting the humanity that sometimes we don't think about in the art world we think about valuations we think about you know multiples that you can get on the work we think about um you know positionality and, and being an expert and all this stuff and it was just like you know forget all that you know these are people who are truly being impacted that are in our community so how to re reinvest so jar of love was like a big thing for us um you know and it was like growing up right because like we are a nonprofit. Um, and I think now we're making mature decisions as an organization. You know, it's a business. We have to file taxes. Um, and then we had virtual visits, you know, so the virtual visits program on our Instagram program uh, platform has been incredible, you know, recognizing that we have to shelter in place and there's still people who are sheltering in place and just being able to give people a glimpse into, you know, the artist's sacred space, which is the studio. You know, we've done visits with um, Shanique Smith. Um, I We did one yesterday with Angel Otero, you know, and, and that was incredible because mm -hmm. Angel's been a friend for a decade. And I think this new show at Lehman Maupin is an incredible inflection point in his career. And for him to talk about, you know, being in that vulnerable space, he brought the church upstate. And, you know, it's inspiring not only for us in our community, potential collectors, curators, but it's also inspiring for artists to know that like there are ebbs and flows in this journey as an artist. Um, and then we launched AN12, mm -hmm. which is a new initiative where we celebrated 12 artists we felt, you know, really are helping just kind of change the game and expand the discourse. And so that's something that will be an annual mm -hmm. celebration. Um, and so now just beginning to think about other components. So like we've talked about starting scholarships for black and brown MFA students, um, you know, and particularly, I think it'll start with like CUNY, SUNY schools, right? Because those programs tend to be more affordable in nature, but I don't think we always account for like, you know, cost of books, you know, transportation. And so trying to figure out how can we address that thoughtfully um, and then kind of like A-B test that and then hopefully expand the scholarship program to be a national opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so um, you're yeah. from uh, Ghana. And at what point did you leave and well, come so to the to United clarify, States? So both my parents are from Ghana. I was born in Harlem, raised in New York. Uh, but I spent mm -hmm. a good amount of time in Ghana. I'm actually going back to Ghana in two weeks. I was there for a month over the holiday. Um, you know, really just trying to get a full sense of what's happening in the art scene there. Um, you know, so did a lot of studio visits, you know, bought some work. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm going back, you know, to explore some potential projects. What do you feel is going on in well, the so art I world think, over there? You know, people are realizing, well, so one thing you can't negate, you know, social media and what that's done. I think 
Omako Boafo's rise has been a catalyst in terms of, um, you know, being based between Vienna and Accra, that you can be an artist and make money doing this. You know, his story has been turbulent and complicated, but at the core of it, you know, he's starting his residency program. He's reinvesting in the community. You know, galleries like 1957 um, are creating opportunities for artists. Um, you have um, mm -hmm. the Nubuke Foundation that's creating opportunities for artists. So I think what you're seeing is that artists see a possibility of sustainability as a professional artist, right? Because I have family members who had aspirations of being a professional artist, but, you know, this was 30 years ago and there really wasn't the aptitude that there is now for collecting. I mean, people collect, but I think it's a different circumstance mm -hmm. where it's like you have folks collecting on the ground, on the continent, but then you have this global ecosystem that's being supported. Mm -hmm. His story was uh, quite a dramatic one with prices yeah. going yeah. through the roof and... Were you uh, were you involved with him before? Yeah, I mean, we've known each that? other for about three, four years. So you know, at the beginning, and uh, where is he exactly? Yeah, and so okay. he's between Accra and Vienna. Um, Vienna being, I guess, the base, but heavily investing in you know the ecosystem. You know, so building this residency program mm. you know and to go and see it <laughs> it's happening it's not a pipe dream it's not a uh, uh it's like physically happening and seeing that it be built out mm. i think is inspiring for a lot of folks you know i think you know kehinde doing black rock in senegal i think opened up people's eyes to mm -hmm. what's possible on the continent you know, because residencies are not a new idea, but I think traditionally it was like, oh, you went to like the south of France or like places that, you know, weren't necessarily reflective of like the African diaspora experience. And so I think, you know, what Kehinde doing, what he's doing in Black Rock, what Amako would do, what Yankashanabari is building, I believe mm -hmm. El Natsui might be doing something as well. Um, and so I think you're just mm. seeing a generation, you know, a digitally native generation that's seeing examples of possibilities, you know, so remove price from it, but just being able to exhibit in Ghana, Nigeria, uh, New York, London, Shanghai, um, and still be able to kind of be based where you're based, wherever you choose for that to be. Um, and, and thrive. So you're talking about the lo the logistics. Of, no, not necessarily of the, the logistics, but just like being able to have opportunities. You know, I think mm -hmm. five, ten years ago, it would be very tricky to kind of figure out who are the artists on the ground unless you went. You know, and a lot of people, mm -hmm. some go, but most are just using social media to kind of say, oh, you know, an artist like, you know, Cornelius Anor is someone that, you know, we started a dialogue through Instagram. And then when I went to Ghana, um, he has an exhibition up at 1957 now. We did maybe two or three studio visits. So I was really trying to understand what it was mm -hmm. that he was offering us through the practice. But then also, 
you know, offering feedback where, mm-hmm. where it was appropriate, you know, because for me, it's like. I just mean logistics in the sense that you're really one of the only people that's articulating. I wouldn't say that. I mean, in that I don't way. take that credit. I think I'm part of a community of folks who are doing that. Um, and for me, it's just, there's a personal uh, investment in that. And my hope is, you know, and the great thing is that, you know, we had the year of return, 2019, 20. And so people, God is just on people's radar in general. And so for me, it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, just sounding the horn to get more people to kind of go spend time there. If you want to check the art scene, cool. But there's so many other things that are happening, you know, but I wouldn't take credit as being the only person. I'm part of a very robust community of folks. And, um, you know, we're all doing our part. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, besides being an oh, artist, dope. I'm also a jazz musician. Oh, amazing. I play the saxophone. And so on a certain level, um, I kind of think about the art world and the jazz world as kind mm-hmm. of all being the same thing. No, nah, I mean, I think definitely in terms of community and camaraderie, like um, Sunday, I got an opportunity to spend some time with um, Frank Stewart. I don't know if you know Frank Stewart. Um, incredible photographer. No. Um shot a lot of jazz musicians so you know miles davis Wynton marsalis mm-hmm. um i mean you name it he shot it you know photographed a lot of things at the apollo uh, mm-hmm. you know who's really oh, yeah. great is ming, ming is incredible Smith. actually was with ming mm-hmm. in december um because i got a copy of her, mm-hmm. her book through aperture and she you know, graciously signed it for me and her son Mingus, we're friends. And, uh, you know, so got to spend some time mm-hmm. with her and I got a copy of her first book, which she also signed. And I think, you know, Ming is part of this mm-hmm. uh, community of artists in my mind who are masters at their craft that I'm trying to figure out how to collaborate with them. You know, whether that's formally through an exhibition, whether it's like, inviting them to be part of talks or even just, you know, something as simple as like introducing collectors to Ming's work, you know? Um, She's part of the show. I think it's still up at the Whitney, um, the group show with her collective Kamage. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's so many artists. It's just like, I didn't see that one, but I yeah I saw yeah yeah I think she Freeze. showed with Karen Jenkins Johnson at Freeze, who's based out of San Francisco, mm-hmm. and you know, for me it's like mm-hmm. anytime I have an opportunity, I'm mentioning Evangeline Montgomery, I'm going to mention Frank, I'm going to mention you know, the Ming Smiths of the world. Uh, so um, your uh, beginnings as a photographer. Um, influence you to a certain extent yeah i mean it influences you in terms of how you see um perspective and I'm, but you have an appreciate you have an appreciation for photography from yeah, perspective of an, of an artist I think it, but it allows um, me to use my imagination in certain scenarios um 
you know, because particularly mm-hmm. because of COVID, like there's some places I can't physically go and I have to imagine what this thing looks like, you know, and with a photograph, you know, a lot of times you're either, if, you know, depending on where you're caching a photo, it's like you gotta, you know, if you're doing a street scene, it's like you're capturing the moment while it's happening or anticipating the moment. So there has to be this kind of third eye or third sense. Um, and, you know, artists like Josh Woods, incredible artist from Harlem, based in Paris. You know, so thinking about that as well, like, I, I can, I, I, I can mm-hmm. honestly say I have not been the best steward when it comes to photography in terms of exhibiting it. You know, there mm-hmm. are like artists um, like um, Kasimu Harris based in New Orleans who have included in projects. Um, but I feel like there's an op, just like an like, abstraction and ceramic, there's an opportunity to engage with photographers and, and ensure that the work is, you know, elevated to the same level as painting. Because I think there's still this stigma mm-hmm. um, against photography with regard to, like, it in a fine art context. Um, and so trying to figure out opportunities mm-hmm. to kind of disrupt that um, and say this is important, too. So, like, I have a project that launched today um, at BAM. Um, it's called Let Freedom Ring. It's volume two. We did volume one during MLK, MLK weekend. And, you know, Layla, who's an incredible photographer, um, Kevin Claiborne, incredible photographer, making sure those voices were included in addition to Amy Sherrill, um, Deborah Roberts, Jordan mm-hmm. Castile, Masanya Cruz, Jasmine Wahi. So, you know, finding mm-hmm. spaces where it can it's appropriate I don't feel like I need to kind of like scream. I'm doing a photography show, because um, I just feel like people mm-hmm. have eyes and they have like you know brains and doing it in a way that just kind of is right. like you know this is important too. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's very humble of you to deflect my concept that you're the leading curator in this kind of way of articulating this kind of stuff. And I think that's an important thing about you is that you you bring a lot of names and a lot of different people to the table that some we've yeah. heard of, some yeah. I mean, I think for me, that's what makes this journey uh, sweet, right? Is that I'm not doing this by myself, you know? And I think anybody who's had any modicum of success some people acknowledge it. Most people don't. You don't do it by yourself. You know, I had mm-hmm. incredible mentors in and outside of the art world, you know. So I think, like, Franklin Sermons down at Pam has been incredible. Um, Dennis Shaw in Miami. Mm-hmm. Abulite, um, Klaus Biesenbach, you know, uh, Thelma Golden. Um hmm. And, you know, a lot of times it's not conversations about curating, you know, which I find, like, fascinating. Like, me and Klaus have, for example, have rarely talked about, like, the mechanics of curating, you know. But being in proximity Mm. and just watching how these individuals work, watching how Thelma works, um, and then all the incredible curators that have come from her tree. Naomi Beckwith now being deputy director at the Guggenheim. And I remember when she was at the Studio Museum, 
you know? And so I think for me, mm-hmm. I always say I'm blessed to even make a living doing this, right? Um, it's it's a beautiful opportunity. I don't take it for granted. I don't take it lightly. And for me, you know, going back to your question, what draws me to curating, it's an opportunity to aid in the support of creatives reaching self-actualization through whatever that medium is, right? And so the beauty is to meet an artist Mm -hmm. like February James, you know, who was a makeup artist, transitioned into being a painter um, and to, you know, be part of her journey, you know, organizing a group show, a a two-person show with her and John Revis, who's an artist I met, you know, Mm. when he was at SVA, you know, senior, undergrad, you know, figuring it out, you know, and and building these relationships and friendships and Mm -hmm. um, watching them soar. You know, I think for me, that's, you know, even Hugo, Hugo McLeod, who I've been collaborating with for 10 years, and he has an incredible show at Sean Kelly now, Bergen. And, you know, I went down to Mexico where he's primarily based and spent about two or three weeks just hanging out, you know, maybe talking about art, maybe not staring at these paintings, you know, and, and seeing mm-hmm. what my spirit manifested. And like, that's the joy of it. Right. And I think for me, in order to thrive, I have to be humble, you know, because once I start, you know, tooting my own horn, then it's like you begin to miss things. And then you begin to think it's about you. And I've always been about that. This is about I'm artist first. It's right. about the artist, you know. And I'm just blessed to that they allow me to be right. on the journey with them. Hmm. Um. Well, it's a a great honor and a and a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate hear about appreciate the interest. Um, well. I don't have the opportunity to speak with yeah. um, everyone in the art world, but I've, I've, I have mm-hmm. with most most of the people in the art world, and thank you. And no, it's a great it's honor, an honor to, to be speak in conversation and to be featured on uh, such an incredible platform. I mean, White Hot, you know, to me is one of the premier, mm-hmm. um, I say, institutions. Um, and I think it's, 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 you know, one thing that I've found mm-hmm. that's important is that, you know, we support platforms like yours that are bringing the level of criticality that I think sometimes is missing um, and not get tricked mm-hmm. by just the numbers and the notoriety with like really breaking this thing apart and like, right. why do you do what you do? You know, and I think it's, it's actually mm-hmm. um, exciting to hear that you're a jazz musician, right? Um, cause I think about when mm. I was in college and I took jazz history cause it, I, I needed a art requirement mm. or something and, um, how that class opened my mind, right? Because before that jazz was his noise, even though I had worked in the record industry, mm-hmm. but it was primarily like hip hop right. and R&B. Right. Oh, wow. I'm also a painter. But I, oh. yeah, I've done lots of museum shows what with kind of my work? work and um, no, but like figurative abstraction. Painting. 
Uh, it's kind of like oh, a combination of landscape and figurative. I, I have a show opening oh, at Launch F18 in New York. Um, yeah, it's just a viewing room. Uh, February 15th. Monday. Yeah, no, send me the info on that. Yeah, I'll, send no, you, I'll send you the information. Um, as far as saxophone goes, I was uh, oh, I studied with Ornette Coleman at a certain point. I'm sure. Dave, did you ever meet David Hammonds yeah. through that? Because I know that Ornette is like a huge no. inspiration to uh, his practice. Right. Yeah. He did also did a show at Hauser and Worth. That yeah, yeah, like yeah. A, that, that show was an Ornette themed show. But I, uh, I, I used to go over to Ornette's house and uh, I took a, a few saxophone lessons with Ornette and just talking with Ornette uh, mm. opened me up to a lot of, a lot of things. And um, that's where I had, uh, I met mm. uh, Ming Smith through D mm. David Murray and Mingus Murray. And I, I, I was oh, a guest at the Village Vanguard with David Murray and Ming Smith was there. Actually, I met them at a party. I also met you in passing at a at a party. Um, I can't somewhere. Probably. I think it was at Derek yeah, Adams. No, I mean, those, those two also party. have been Thank incredible you. beacons and and and, and guides and Kehinde Wally as well. Um, just in my journey, you know, and and I think mm -hmm. you know, it's it's interesting, like just reflecting on your point about the parallels between the art world and the jazz world, and I think about. You know, Roy Hargrove was someone that I had the honor to know. And, you know, I, to watch him play at the village, uh -huh. village Vanguard and, like, just Likewise. the camaraderie. The only other mm -hmm. kind of industry that I see a parallel is the culinary mm -hmm. world and the camaraderie among chefs. And, like, it doesn't mm -hmm. really matter where you're from. Is Do you know what the right. fuck you're doing? <laughs> you know, if you have chops, like, I think about Ghetto Gastro, John Gray, Pierre, right. and Les you know, incredible color culinary collective and what they've been able to do. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's the beauty of this, right? At the core, it's about these communities, whether it's through music, food, or visual arts that, you know, mm -hmm. give us life, right? Because otherwise it'd be pretty mundane and boring, you know? And I think to be in conversation with you is it's definitely mm -hmm. been a joy this morning. And, 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 and thank you. Mm, for sure. Yeah, and anytime. For sure. And uh, I hope we'll be in touch more yeah, and looking more. Looking forward to uh, it. in the future. Okay, great. Well, thanks again for joining me, and um, it's been a Thank real you. pleasure and an Thank honor. You. And well. we'll talk to you shortly. You too. Bye. Have a great day. Art World, the White Hot Magazine podcast, where we feature the best art in the world. Read us on the web at www.whitehotmagazine.com. Visit us on Instagram and other social media platforms. The podcast can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all places where podcasts can be found. I'm your host, Noah Becker. 